Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. In our second reading this weekend, it's from the letter to the Hebrews. And it mentions Jesus as a high priest. And then it says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. For he was like us in all things except sin. Now, I don't know about you, but for so much of my religious formation, I began to think like, well, uh, sin's precisely where I need him to understand me. Like, I'm so glad he knows what it's like to do things really well, but he's like us in all things that sin. Sin is the one place I really need him. <laughs> and I was hearing the passage as if it was saying, when you're in pain and you've messed up and you've done things wrong, he's just like, I don't know why you mere mortals are struggling. Get yourself together and then come to me and I'll reward you with divine goodies. I mean this quite literally when I say that is a lie from the pits of hell. It is precisely what enslaves us and takes us from the love of the Father. It doesn't move us to open up to the love of the Father. Pope St. John Paul II said that the work of the enemy and therefore all of the original sin that we inherit has one goal, to abolish the fatherhood of God. Meaning, he's not a good father who actually cares, who's reliable, who is eager and delights in bringing you and me to life. Rather, he's a tyrant that if you're good enough, he just won't destroy you. That image is not just some sort of false, psychologically projected thing out there. Rather, there's an enemy that wants us to have that understanding of God because then we'll never give him our hearts. We'll never let him in. In the opening prayer of the church this weekend, I prayed on behalf of all of us as the priest of the community, Lord, help us to conform our will to yours. And I think we always think that the will of God is somehow out there somewhere. Help us to go serve. Help us to do this. Help us to be good to these people. Help us. And of course, that is part of the will of God. But if we're going to join in God's activity, if we're going to be at the hip of Jesus and follow him in his mission in this world, the first place he wants to go is in our weaknesses. We have a great high priest who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses, for he's like us in all things. The first place Jesus wants to go for most of us here is where we feel weak, fragile, vulnerable, scared. Nervous, uncomfortable, insecure. 
What is your relationship to those parts in your heart and in your life? How do you think of those parts? How do you treat them? What do you judge? What is your judgment on circumstances where that comes to light? Where you feel not enough? Where you feel bad? Where you feel an unstable? Weak? If you're human, you hate those parts. Because in a fallen world, we think those are the very places that make us unlovable, not good, a liability rather than an asset, a burden rather than a gift, a burden rather than beloved. And see, sin is what we turn to to medicate and cope with weakness. Jesus entered into all of our weaknesses and never turned to sin for help, but stayed open to the Father's promise that I love you. I see you, I know you, and I love you. And so when Jesus comes into the world where he wants to go are precisely on a mission Jesus is the missionary. He's on a mission for the parts of our lives that are weak, small, insignificant, embarrassing. And he says, won't you join me in loving those places? And we say, no, look how smart I am. That's what makes me lovable. Did you not know what position I hold at my company? Look, I make way more than my father ever did. Look how productive I am. Look at all the perfect calendar I have. Look at how perfectly well-behaved my kids are, or I'll beat them after church. (laughs) They won't have donuts for months. We constantly think if we clean ourselves up and we don't feel so weak, then... And it's important that you fill in the blank. Then what? Then you're good? Then we're loved? See, God already loves us. He made us good. We make mistakes, sure. But when your kid makes a mistake, you don't give them up out of the family. In fact, in those places are some of the most tender, beautiful conversations. It's where real love soaks into the kid's heart and mind That even though I make mistakes, my mom and dad will not abandon me, but actually draw me closer to form me and guide me. Jesus has sympathy. The etymology of the word sympathy is sin, not S-I-N, but like in sync. Not the, well, I guess the band too, but more like, (laughs) but like you're in sync with someone. And then pathos, which is feeling. So, the Latin translation of sympathy is a community of feeling. Jesus, I feel what you feel. I know what it's like to feel abandoned, misunderstood, rejected, mocked. I know what it's like to feel in the face of worldly powers, small and not enough. 
I know what it's like to go in prayer and just cry out, knowing your only hope is if God responds. I know what it's like to feel like you can't help other people because they don't want the help. He's like us in all things. And so he says, I get it. This sympathy is not like a warm electric blanket that just helps you cope. It's incredibly powerful. It transforms lives because you can be loved in the very places you hate about yourself. But Jesus says, will you join me in loving you or will you constantly pretend you're fine and decide what's good and lovable on your own? How do I know this is so powerful? Because it's what changed my life. So my freshman year in college, my parents got a divorce. And any of you who are sons and daughters of divorced parents, you know the pain you carry with you because it's not just the divorce, but it's the years before that led to the divorce. Rarely do people get divorced for a one-time event. Rather, there's months, weeks, years, decades of a lot of destructive things, a lot of lack of love. So I'm finally on a retreat. I'm 19, freshman in college. My parents had gotten divorced in the fall semester. And I go to confession for the first time since my first communion. Now I was majoring in jazz, so I wasn't pursuing God, okay? So the confession was as honest as I could be and as, as colorful as I can be. And the priest just said, go pray five Our Fathers in front of the Blessed Sacrament which I didn't know what that was. I found out it was the Eucharist, and there's something called adoration, where the Eucharist is put in this gold cross, known as a monstrance, so you can adore him. I thought, oh, that sounds nice. So I had to find out where that was. I went there, and I started praying the first Our Father, and I start getting to the second one, and externally what everyone saw was a 19-year-old losing it. I cried for two and a half hours straight. All the pain, all the stress that I was carrying in my body, in my memory, in my soul, all the feelings of impotency over helping my mom and dad, all the times I saw them yell and not being able to do anything about it, all the times it felt so isolated, and then all the things I had done to cope with that up to that point in my life, I didn't have to carry. And internally, what I was hearing was Jesus saying two words, which I later learned on was sympathy, but his words were, I know. I know. I know what you're hurting with. I know how hard it was for you. I know all the ways you think you have to be strong and tough and have the answers. I know all the ways you have to look like everything's going to be fine. I know all of the ways you hide. I know all the parts of you you hate. I know all the parts of you you pretend weren't there. And I love it all, Jesus says. Changed my life. Took a while for me to realize what everything was in that moment because I then went on to improv comedy and acting, and then eventually the seminary. I thought, surely I'm meant to be in on the stage, and kind of, kind of. But this is what happens in the Eucharist. Our way of evaluating the fruitfulness of our prayer and of our Mass so often is, are all my problems resolved? 
And Jesus is like, you aren't a problem, you're a person. Problems get fixed, persons get loved. Will you let me just have sympathy? Would you let me feel with you? Would you let me be with you? Would you allow me to show you you're not alone? And this is what our church is meant to be. St. Basil's the Great is not a country club where we come looking good and everything's fine. We come here because we're broken, hurting, but we have hope that Jesus can love us, heal us, and teach us how to be that gracious presence for one another. That's why we're here. If that's not what you want when we come here, I don't know what else the church has to offer you. That's it. It's why we've existed for 2,000 years. When we try to do other things, we don't do it very well. This is it. And so this week, I just encourage you in your prayer to notice what part of you are you resisting or hiding to be good, quote unquote, to have it all together. And maybe this week you say, Jesus, would you show me what you think about that part? Would you show me the kind of kindness and love you have for that place? so that I might actually learn how to be divine. I might learn how to love like you love. And in doing that, finally be set free.